This morning I want to speak to you about killing the sins of the mouth. Killing the sins of the mouth. The mouth is a wondrous and miraculous thing, isn't it? It's an amazing gift. Have you thought about that? My daughter has been watching a series of videos about what life would be like if certain things we enjoyed ceased to exist. It's an interesting exercise. So let me just try it on you, right? What would your life be like if your mouth was taken away? Like literally right now. You don't be able to smile or frown or drink or eat anything. In fact, without eating, your days would be numbered, wouldn't they? You would soon be dead if it was, the mouth was taken away. And of course, no one would be able to speak or sing at your funeral because all the mouths are gone. We speak through our mouths, don't we? And our ability to speak, when you think about it, it is such a priceless gift from God. We enjoy many wonderful things through our speaking. We're able to enjoy a relationship with others and even manage our lives. As I was thinking about this, I, I reflected the time I was uh, giving Brother Michael a visit and he couldn't really speak at the hospital. And he couldn't hit. And it was so painful to watch that. It broke my heart just seeing him like that. And it made me realize that it's important that we can, we're able to speak. We're able to use our mouth. We're able to eat. Such a gift from God. And the most wonderful thing about being able to speak is that we can use our mouths to pray and sing praises to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the most amazing thing, isn't it? God has given us this gift to sing his praises as we sang in the hymn. To, to say good things about the Lord. To honor him with our mouth. The problem is that we don't always use our mouths in that way, isn't it? We don't always use them in a way that honors God. That's the problem. God hates what comes out, most of, what comes out of our mouths most of the time. It is sinful to him. Most of the things we say. The Bible is full of warnings concerning the sins of the mouth. The book of Proverbs alone has over 60 warnings against the sins of the mouth. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty God, our Prince of Peace, the soon coming King, he warned us that every person will one day give an account for every careless word we have ever uttered. Think about that. Every word we have ever uttered will give an account for that. That's in Matthew 12, verse 36. And of course, our, our elder, Brother Ola, has preached to us through the well-known passage in James 3. I encourage you to go on Podbean or iTunes and listen to those messages. Because in James 3, we are warned about the sinful effects of the mouth. They're quite challenging messages. The, the Apostle James there says, no one can tame the tongue. No one. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, James says. It is like a, he compares it to a small fire that sets the whole forest ablaze. The tongue. Your mouth is a wonderful gift from God. But because of our sinful nature, our mouth has now become the most dangerous asset we possess. And it is full of sin against God. 
And this is true even for us who are true followers of Christ. Yes, God has given us a new heart in Christ. We are the new creation, isn't it? If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful truth. The penalty for our sin has been paid on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the power of sin has been broken by the resurrection of Christ. If you're in Christ, sin is no longer your master. And yet the presence of sin remains. You get the three Ps. Penalty paid. Power broken. But the presence of sin remains. And it remains until we go to heaven. Or heaven comes to us when the Lord Jesus Christ descends in glory for the second time. Until then, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that means we must work to put sin to death. Not in our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And this, of course, includes killing the sins of the mouth. And we can kill the sins of the mouth because sin no longer rules us. And that's why Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, calls on believers to kill these sins. Look at verse 7 to 9. Colossians chapter 3, verse 7 to 9. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you are put off the old self with its practices. These verses are commanding, as you know, as we've been looking at them, we have been reminding ourselves that these verses are commanding followers of Jesus to get rid of any sins that ruin our relationship with other believers, actually. That's the context. It's relationship in general, you might say, but Paul's concern is particularly what's going on in the life of the church at Colossae. He says we must kill our communal sins. You know, in verse 1 to 4, as you know, Paul taught us that, living with, that we live with Christ. Right? And living with Christ makes us live for Christ. And from verse 5 all the way to chapter 4 to verse 2, which we read, Paul tells us of how living for Christ looks like in practice. The first thing he says is that living for Christ means killing sexual sin. We looked at that in verse 5 to 6, didn't we? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Why? On account of this, the wrath of God is coming. So kill your sexual sin. It's not who you are, and the wrath of God is coming upon it. The second thing we must kill is, is anger and his friend. We looked at that in verse 7 to verse 8. In this, you two once walked when you were living in them, he says. But now you must put them all away. Here are the issues with anger. Anger, wrath, malice. That's where we ended. Anger and his friends. Well, the third set of sins we must kill are the sins of the mouth. Because Paul continues, doesn't he? Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, he says. So we can summarize that third section simply like this. I think what Paul is teaching us is living for Christ means killing our mouth sins. It's that simple. Living for Christ means killing the sins of your mouth. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Killing your mouth sins. And I want us to learn this command in three separate commands. 
The first, and they are very straightforward. It's just the three areas there. The first command from God in these verses is that you must kill your slander. Kill your slander. But now you must put them all away, Paul says in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. We looked at malice, didn't we? And we said malice is having a strong dislike towards other people. It's not wishing them well. It's a desire to do evil to them or some damage to them. That's malice. Slander is a baby of malice. It is doing evil to other people with your words. It's malice in action. It is speaking in a way that demeans or defends another person. The sin of slander often comes from a sense of being grieved by other people, just like malice. A colleague at work has been telling tales about you, right? And you just feel helpless. You feel helpless about it. They're telling your boss. They're telling your lunch buddy. And you're like, come on, I can't go anywhere. And so what do you do? You feel cornered. So what do you do? You retaliate by also going on a separate campaign to tell others just how horrible your co-worker is. Now, not all slander is because of something that has been done to us. Sometimes our slander is driven by a feeling that someone I know quite well has what I don't have. So your close friend at uni has become a digital nomad, right? (laughs) She lives a jet-set lifestyle. One day she's in Cambodia. The next minute, Gingbisau. The other other day, Indonesia. You're like, wow. And you're seeing all of this on her Instagram feed, right? (laughs) You, you are stuck here in broken Britain (laughs) with with a new prime minister coming. Who looks like the old one. <laughs> and you're starting to feel jealous, aren't you? You're starting to feel jealous. So you start gossiping about it. You just start your own campaign just to make yourself feel good. All gossip is slander. We know that, don't we? What is gossip? It's actually a very tricky question. What is gossip? I think most of what you think is gossip is actually not gossip. Gossip is illegitimately passing on damaging stories or information about others. Even if that information is quite true. It may be true what you're saying, but if you're illegitimately passing on that information to others, it is gossip. But I want to emphasize the word illegitimately. Because it is not always sinful to share damaging information. I think we would all agree with that. There are many valid reasons to pass on damaging information. It is good that in society we have whistleblowers. Something bad has happened at work. It's good to be able to share that and pass it on. It's good that if we've seen a crime in our neighborhood, we tell the police. We are not gossiping. We are going to the law enforcement officers and telling them what has happened. It's the right thing for you to do. It is good if you've suffered deep pain in your life to go to someone mature in the life of the church or elsewhere to be able to share that if you genuinely are looking for help, not just telling tales. You're genuinely seeking help. 
So legitimacy is important. And also legitimately to the right people. So the legitimate reason and to a legitimate authority. A legitimate person. Okay? So gossip is when we're not doing that. When we're just passing on da damaging information to people for illegitimate reasons and illegitimate individuals. And sadly, most of the time we spread damaging information, we're actually sinning. There's no legitimacy to it whatsoever. We do it without any biblical authority to do it. And it is a sin. And I would say when we pass on damaging information based on some rumor we have heard, it is even worse. Because there we are not just outside the boundary of our authority, we are just becoming hyper-producers of more and more gossip. Rumor. Sinful to pass on rumor. The other form of slander, of course, we must watch out for, is what our government calls disinformation. I'm sure you've come across that phrase very well. This is information intended to mislead others. When I put out a misrepresentation or a false statement about another human being to do damage to their reputation, that is clearly slander to them. And this is why it's important as believers we check the facts. We ensure whatever we are saying is factually true. Because this form of slander actually, oddly enough, this disinformation, we see it most from the politicians and governments. That's the irony. Politicians like putting out half-truths, don't they? To make those who disagree with them look terrible. And of course the government itself is a producer of much disinformation. Slandering their opponents, cancelling individuals who disagree with their view of life. A slander, isn't it? And I want to say this slander is also common in our homes. Parents, listen to me very carefully. This slander is common in our homes. We can slander our children when we make generalizations about them that are simply not true. For example, a mother may say to her daughter, you never wash dishes. Really? Never wash dishes? What she's saying is that she's saying that, of course, to make the daughter feel guilty for not taking responsibility. She knows the daughter has sometimes washed dishes. But she's saying it to make her feel bad. It is slander, isn't it? It is slander because, A, it's not true, and, A, she does wash dishes. And you're doing it, perhaps, in front of other people in the house. Slander doesn't require a third person. I'll come to that in a moment. But it is, it, it, having a third person magnifies it. So the parent is guilty of lying, and they're also guilty of critical speech towards their daughter. A slanderous speech. It's very common in the home. Sorry, mothers, I just I had to pick someone. <laughs> I could have said the dad, right? But we should use the dad next time. Slander, of course, includes any form of critical speech about others that doesn't need to be said. Do you hear that? Any critical speech you make that doesn't need to be said. And any critical speech that is not made in the appropriate forum. There are places we can say certain things, but when we say critical things where we're not supposed to say them, 
We are slandering. And of course, slander includes any verbal abuse. That's slander. Any insults. Well, listen, beloved. Any piercing, harsh, sarcastic comments, subliminal words. That is slander. Because those things demean others. Now, as I said, it is important to always remember that slander does not require a third person. Why? Because God is always present. God is always present. There's always a third person. God is always there. So just insulting someone is slander. And you're slandering them before God. And there I say before the angels as well. But I believe there's even a more common form of slander that we tend to ignore, which you should be aware of. The most common form of slander is ascribing the wrong motives to others. We slander people when we assume the worst about them. When I tell my wife you're behaving like this because X is going on in your heart, I can't see her heart. I can't see what she's thinking. So when I say that, I'm now judging her heart. What am I doing? Well, I am slandering her dignity, aren't I? Do you see? You and I don't even know ourselves. And so how dare do we, we think that we know others, what's going on? We need to think very carefully about that. When we start judging other people's motives, which we can't see, we are slandering them. And it's even worse when we repeat it to other people. Because it's double slander, isn't it? Do you see what I'm getting at here? The sin of slander is much bigger than we realize. And all of us here, not a single one, all of us here, every single one, I should say, is guilty of slander. You've done it this week. We are all victims and perpetrators of slander. By this expansive definition that clearly is biblical. Now why am I reminding you of that? I am reminding you of that because knowing we are slanderers before God and others is important for us to grow in forgiving those who slander us. It is humbling to know that we are not better than those who gossip about us. It's humbling to know that. It's humbling to know we are not better than those who say nasty things about us. Than those who constantly wound us with their words. We know we have slandered too. And so how can we now with an honest face even go before God and complain about those who have slandered us? How can we? We can't. We can only go to God with a forgive, asking for God to give us a forgiving heart. Because we know we are slanderers at heart. The sheer scope of this sin of slander humbles us. And it doesn't just humble us. It should move our hearts to plead to God to take away slander from us first. Before we even consider God taking away slander from others. And God here is commanding us, isn't it? Kill your slander. Why? Because he loves human beings. 
And he does not want any human being he created to be slandered by anyone. And there's a comfort there, isn't there? If you have experienced slander in your life. The fact that God is pointing it out here shows he cares about you as a human being. And I dare I say, he cares about you even more as his child in Christ. He understands full well the sin committed against you, if you've ever been slandered. And we all have. And at the same time, this, 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 this passage is saying to us, take slander seriously which you commit. Why is that? Because your ash word is not just letting off some steam. Critical speech is not just sharing our opinions. Gossip is not just a bit of fun. All slander in any shape or form is hatred, beloved. And all hate is murder. When we slander others, we are firing a verbal gun to kill those we should love. And that's what makes this sin so serious. And that's why God is commanding us here through the Apostle Paul. Kill your slander. Take this sin seriously. Hack it to death now. Do not delay, Paul is saying. That's the first sin. The second sin, the second sin of the mouth in the said that God wants you to put to death is obscene talk. Obscene talk. What's that? Well, it's there in verse 7, isn't it? But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What is obscene talk? Well, the original word means shameful or filthy language. And this is maybe language that is aimed at ourselves. It may be aimed at other people. It may even be aimed at things. You know, somebody kicks something out of anger and they swear at that thing. Or it may even be aimed at God himself. You know, every culture on earth has words that people regard as filthy or rude. Words that are inappropriate. Those words that are considered disgraceful. For example, these may be filthy words we use to express disgust. This may be when we are by ourselves or we're just talking to other people. And the Bible is commanding us here that we are to kill all swearing and dirty words. Now, for many people, I mean, for us here, we get that. But if you have this conversation with a friend at work, that you must kill your swearing. I used to have a boss who was swearing all the time. I've been just telling him, like, cut it down a little bit. He just used to look baffled at me. It's baffling. What's wrong with that? They'll say, what is so bad about indecent language? I'm an adult, and I? They'll say. Many people treat swearing as part of their life. Everyone swears, they say. They would even argue that there are some people whose biology makes them swear. Some sort of syndrome they have. But God says that's a sin. So why is God saying it's a sin? Why is God commanding us to kill all debt and filthy language. I think it's for two reasons. First of all, obscene talk devalues what God has made sacred. That's the first thing. If I use an act of intimacy or an expression as an expression of something else, if I take an act of intimacy and I use it as an expression of something else, it devalues that act of intimacy. It uncovers what our holy God has covered up. 
That's why it's bad. We are desecrating the image of God or even the creation of God. Secondly, all dirty and obscene language corrupts us and our ears. That's why God forbids it. It is not only contagious, it is effectively preaching sin at ourselves and other people. When you swear, you are preaching sin at another person and yourself. You know, schools do not allow any filthy language to be spoken by anyone, not even by teachers. Why is that? Do you know why? Because it corrupts the children. That's why. It corrupts the children who hear it. That's why the schools have these laws. This is also why films and TV are film rating. You have to reach a certain age to watch something. Why is that? Well, because when a child watches a film or show with swearing in it, it will start corrupting their hearts. So even the world, which does not know the word of God, agrees. The swearing and use of every language corrupts the human heart. The world agrees with that. When you speak filth, you are promoting filth in your own heart and in those who hear it. And this is why God here is commanding us in this verse to kill all obscene talk. Kill it. So first command, kill your slander. Secondly, kill your obscene talk. And here is the third and final command here. The third and final command is that you must kill your lies. Kill your lies. But now you must put them all away. Paul says in verse 8, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And then he says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another. Hopefully we can be quick on this one. <laughs> all of us know what lying is, don't we? It is not telling the truth. If a boy says, I am a girl, that is a plain lie. And they are living a lie. Because you are bo you're born a boy, you're born a girl. That's it. So a person saying, they're, 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 a boy saying, I'm a girl, they're just living a lie. They're speaking something contrary to reality. That's lying. Speaking something that opposes reality. Lying is also refusing to say something when we are morally obligated to say it. So you can, you can lie by not saying in fact, most lies are like that. We know who robbed your, our neighbor, but we are hash, hash about it. The police, we know the police are looking for them, but we don't say anything. We're, li we're living a lie. We're living a lie. You have refused to reveal what you know is right for you to reveal. And that's a lie. Now, all refusal to say something is not a lie. We should remember that. Sometimes it is discretion. Okay? Sometimes it is morally right for us to remain silent because revealing something may do more harm than good. And this is very common. Parents, you know that. Not everything you can tell your children. Discretion is not sinful. It's wisdom. It is also true that in the Bible, actually, not every, listen to this, not every untruth is a lie. It's getting a bit complicated, isn't it? There is no moral obligation for us to tell the truth to our enemies who may do us harm. 
In Exodus 1, we meet the Hebrew women, don't we? They preserved the babies of the Israelites from being killed by what? Lying to Pharaoh. And God blessed them for their deception. Rahab hid the spies, didn't she? And God blessed her for that act. In fact, in times of war where enemies are clearly defined, it's obvious you cannot have a conflict without some form of deception. The art of war is deception. So we have no moral obligation to tell the truth to our enemies who may do as am. So what does that mean then for our definition of what lying is? Well, lying, a sinful lie, is a word or act that intentionally deceives our neighbor in order to hurt them. We don't hold our enemies the truth. It is not particularly a lie if it is also done protectively because a human life is at stake. You must remember that. Again, the case of the Hebrew women. It is also not a lie if it is an honest mistake. Or it is done as a joke. <laughs> if you do a little prank on someone, you're not lying, it's just a prank, you're going to tell it, right? You may not like it, you may be... Maybe some other sin, <laughs> but it's not a lie. A prank isn't a lie. A joke isn't a lie. And an honest mistake is not a lie. Now, this is a narrow situation, isn't it? Enemies, pranks, as it were, honest mistake, protecting life, right? These are honest, these are narrow situations. But nearly all the time we engage with people, we deal outside these narrow situations. And that means all the time we lie, it's a lie, if that makes sense, right? Every time we say an untruth, we are lying. Because those situations I've outlined are very narrow indeed. And let us also remember that lying is not just about something we actively do. That's important to remember that. We also lie by tolerating other people's lies. If we accept the lies of the government and we know the government is lying and we perpetuate it, we are sharing in their disinformation. Remember that. If we are at the place of work and we know the policies, is, it lies to people and we are engaging in that, we are turning a blind eye to it, not even exposing it, we are part of the lying infrastructure at the place of work. As believers, we are supposed to expose lies in our homes, expose lies in the church, expose lies in places of work, expose lies in our neighborhoods and in our society. We are meant to stand for truth. Doing nothing makes us guilty. We need to remember that. Now, of course, the sad reality is that all of us struggle with this sin again, isn't it? We all lie in so many ways. You know that. Why do we do it? Well, the reason is that we want some advantage in life. That's why we lie. Sometimes we lie to avoid some loss. We lie to ticket inspectors to avoid a fine, a costly fine. We lie to our parents to avoid being grounded at home. Sometimes we lie to get something we don't have, not merely to, to, to avoid a loss. So we lie to the bank to get a loan. We lie on CVs to get that job we desperately want. We lie to our friends because we want them to like us. And if we tell the truth about ourselves, we know they won't like us as much. So we lie. And as I thought about that, 
I thought, this is so sad. It is so sad when followers of Christ are lying. Because it shows deep down we are not confident in our identity in Christ. We lie because deep down we feel Christ is not enough. We feel we need to care for us. Lying says to Christ, I cannot trust you to look after me. Lying is sinful for everyone. But for a child of God to lie is so shameful. So shameful. It is a heinous sin that not only exploits other people we should love, it is an attack on the truth of God that he loves us and is looking after us in Christ. And we, beloved, must repent of any hint of lies in our life. God is commanding us, isn't it? Kill your lies now. But now you must put them all away, Paul says. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you are put off the old self with its practices. And the key word I keep repeating as we've been looking at this passage is the word now in verse 8. Paul is saying, kill your slander now. Kill your obscene talk now. Don't wait until tomorrow. Kill your lying now. Don't play around with these sins. They are not petty sins. You must put them to death now because they are part of your old nature. You have put on a new humanity. And you must now live out this new humanity. And we'll be reminded of that this evening when we look at verse 9 to verse 11. Kill these sins. So how do we do it? Well, quickly. How do we kill these sins? Well, I hope by now you know the answer, right? So we can do this very quickly. We do it by going through those five steps, which I've told you about twice already. But applying them now to these mouth sins. Okay? Let's go through them quickly, right? The first step, how do we kill our mouth sins? First step, first step be honest about the sin. Don't deny these sins. Do not give them excuses. Do not say, I am okay. Do not say lying is for Jenny over there. Obscene talk is for Mike sitting over there. Do not say that. Be honest. This is an issue for you. You are a liar and a slanderer by nature. Face this issue head on. Humbly accept God's assessment of you. Humbly accept I, I, not the person next to me. I need to repent of these sins. Honesty is the key here. And you can be honest. You know why you can be honest? As I thought about this this morning, you can be honest about it because you know what? Well, because of what Christ has done, of course. But also, in, in the here and now, you can be honest about it because most of the time we don't even know when we're slandering. We don't even know when we're slandering. So we can be honest because we don't even know ourselves. We can come and submit ourselves to the truth of God's word that says, by nature, we are sinners. And from that, I say, be honest about this sin. First step. Second step, be honest about the result of your sin. Be honest that if you carry on swearing at people or yourself, it shows that you are not really born again. If you just keep doing that, that's your life and doesn't bother you. Be honest, that shows perhaps that you haven't been truly converted. You know, Thomas Watson says, the Puritan says, how can Christ be in your heart? Listen to me. Or listen to Watson. How can Christ be in your heart when the devil has taken possession of your tongue? 
think he has a point, isn't he? He has a point. Whatever moves the heart, works the tongue. C.T. Stad says. If you keep slandering other human beings, you are living like the devil. He is Satan. Do you know why he's called Satan? It means slanderer. If you keep on telling lie after lie, you are not living like God is your father. You are living like the father of lies, the devil. You are more like Satan than you are like Christ. Be honest about that. What we're talking about here are serious issues. And be honest about the consequence, the result of you engaging in these sins. Be honest that if you keep living like this, you may well be on the road to hell. Living like this says to God, I am not really converted. I'm still under your wrath and judgment. Be honest about that. Thirdly, accept the cost of killing your mouth sins. And this is the hardest thing. As we have said before, killing any sin in our lives hurts because it is meant to hurt. It is meant to hurt. It's called killing. So the question for you is this. As you think about these sins, are you willing to suffer the cost of saying to your mom, you know, mom or dad, I have not been telling you the truth about my friendship with that person. And the shame that comes from that. Are you willing to suffer the cost of admitting to your wife, I have been living a lie. I have not been telling the truth about my addictions. Or I have not been handling the finances properly as I keep telling you I've been doing. And you know she's not going to be happy with that. (laughs) She's not going to be happy with that. But are you willing to suffer the cost of that for the sake of Christ? For your sake? Are you willing to suffer the cost of telling your boss, I made some shortcuts here that I should not have done. I have put this company at risk. And you know you may lose your job. Are you willing to face the cost? Are you willing to face the cost of stopping your filthy language by making a once-for-all decision to perhaps cancel your Netflix subscription because you cannot be trusted with it? Because whenever you put it on, all you do is watch filthy programs there. And you know those box sets full of swearings, they are killing you. They are killing your love for the Lord and they are filling you with filthy language. Are you willing to take such a decisive step? Are you willing to go to that brother or sister and say, I have slandered you to someone and I'm sorry. This is hard for many of us, isn't it? But with Christ, it can happen. And so the question for you is this. Are you willing to bear the cost of putting the sins of the mouth to death? If not, there will be no victory against sin. Fourthly, and we'll move quickly on this too. First, the fourth thing is that we need to pray to God to forgive our sins, isn't it? To make us sensitive to the sinfulness of sin. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to do this in us. Not only to forgive the sins of the mouth, but to help us now grow in living opposite to our sins. To give us a a heart that loves God and his people. 
And I, I, I said that last time when I preached on, on this issue of killing sin. I said, look, this isn't simply the, the, the case of us putting sin to death. We must now pray through verse 12 to 17. We must pray that the fruits listed there be the new clothes we now wear. Patience, love, forgiveness, and peace. Right? The fifth and final thing. We must keep reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. So important. We always end here as a final step. Ask God to help you remember the truth that you are not your slander. If you have truly repented, you are not your slander. Slander doesn't define you. You are not your swearing. You are not your lying. No matter how ugly your sins are, they don't define you. Your identity has already been spelled out in Colossians 2, verse 8, to chapter 3, to verse 4, which we looked at. And so go back to those verses, refresh yourself in those verses, right? Remind yourself that you are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That the life of Christ is now your life. Remind yourself that you are united forever with him. You are put on the new humanity. Keep reminding yourself that all your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven by God. Remind yourself that you have eternal glory waiting for you in Christ. And remind yourself that just how lovely the Lord Jesus Christ is. He has come in the flesh to suffer the slander of human beings because Christ loves you. Christ was mocked by the world for being the Son of God. Remember that he endured the slander to save you from your sin of slander. Remind yourself that Christ endured lies against him. All sorts of accusations were brought against him. Why? Why did he endure it? For you, beloved. For you. Because Christ loved you from eternity past. And as we'll be reminded, especially in verse 12, to make you his chosen, beloved, and holy person. Remind yourself of the love and tenderness and compassion of Christ for you. Remind yourself of just how lovely our master is. Let the warmth of Christ drive you to kill the sins of your mouth. Let your lips be filled with his praise. You know, God, as I said at the beginning, has blessed us with the wonderful gift of the mouth, isn't it? And so today I just want to end by inviting you to make Psalm 12, which we, Psalm 19, verse 14, which we read earlier, to be your daily prayer to God. The psalmist says, that, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.